either way, I point you to the book that lays the foundation for the movies, and that is simply this fact up front for introductory purposes. This book has sold more than 7 million copies since its original publication date in 1957. I cite that for you because a book has taken hold and an institute has given way, and an institute that is, there is high level of interest in this philosophical economist interview on pursuit in life. It's sold once again 7 million copies, and it is a platform for those who run for office. Some, some it is not, but it is gaining traction more and more even currently. In it, Rand explains through her characters, that is, these novels and these men who play these roles, as she writes through them, through these characters, and explains how, quote, rational self-interest. Rational self-interest is the noblest activity of all mankind. And that a man's own happiness is the moral purpose of his life. Cite to you once again, the Institute is gaining momentum. Seven million copies of this book have been sold. It is a platform for running for office. And its philosophy is its rational self interest is not all right, not decent. It is your noblest activity, being human, and that you, your own, in isolation from anyone else or consideration of them, your own happiness is the moral purpose of your life. Therefore, Rand says, quote, always, this is her instruction to you, the seven million who bought the book, those who have gone to movies, find these men in these films, these novels, heroes of economic prowess and culture. Rand says, quote, always act in accordance with the hierarchy of your own isolated values. Always. And never sacrifice a greater value to a lesser one. End quote. She goes on to call for the rejection of any altruistic way of living. She mocks and calls for rejection of any sense of self-sacrifice. Never self-sacrifice your behaviors, actions, or values for another's good. But to do that, she goes on to say this is immoral. One of her heroes in the novels, there are a handful of them, I can't quite recall these three, and she writes of these ideal men. It's, it's this idea, right, that this person is idyllic in, in the way that they see the world, in the way they operate in time, in the way their view of economy and philosophy and self bring happiness. And yes, of course, it's supposed to somehow bring happiness to another, but don't worry about that. That's a secondary aspect. You worry about you. Never worry about someone else. If you're worried about you, will worry about somebody else. 
heroes says it this way, quote, I am done. And this is her writing through him, right? As he speaks for himself. I am done with the monster of the weak. This is a word of serfdom, of plunder, of misery, falsehood, and shame. You see, this is where this is going. I'm done. This is the declaration of hero, the idyllic individual, ideal man. I am done with the monster of the weak. The word of serfdom, plunder, misery, falsehood is a word of shame. And now I see the face of God. I raise this God over the earth. This God whom men have sought since men came into being. This God, who I will grant, brings us joy, peace, and pride. This God, this one word, I ask you this question by way of introduction. Does meaning, the hierarchy of your own values, for you answer me in your mind, engage with me through the preacher's text? Ask what does meaning, what I just read for you, does meaning come through rational self interest? Is that where it comes from? Does it make sense? Indeed, is it immoral to live self-sacrificially? To surrender one of your own values for a lesser one, that is, somebody else's values. Is that immoral? <coughs> Does meaning come through rational self-interest? The preacher will instruct us for the next few moments that selfish isolation is the exact opposite of human flourishes. Rather than say, no, you have it backward. Again, I only cite for you, and Rand, this is not a sermon on economics necessarily. Um, I'm not putting forward the anti-Rand necessarily. That's not what this is about. But by the way, of 7 billion copies and novels being turned to film, I ask you, does rational self-interest bring meaning to life. In other words, the preacher will instruct us for the next few moments. I hope you're persuaded that selfishness is not a form of liberation. It is rather, as the preacher will instruct, an act of self-destruction. Selfishness, says the preacher, is not a form of liberation or self-realization. It is an act of self-destruction. If you're here this morning and, and you are in isolation pursuing you, and every relationship and web of connections around you are simply only so good as their utilitary purposes, that they're utilizing purposes, for you to get more of you. That is, you're kind of manipulating all things and all those around you. 
pursuing rational sure, but ultimately self-interest. And perhaps you hide it behind Jupiter program. Maybe you hide it behind a pole. Maybe you hide it behind certain relationships and a hierarchy of values. But the thread that commonly binds them all together is self-interest. To gain some measure of self-validation, everything has a utility purpose. says this is not liberation. This is not freedom. This is self-destruction. Let me show you that in the text for the next few moments. Look at chapter 4 in Jairus. If you read through verses 7 and 8, I'll begin there. The preacher, as we were through a couple of weeks ago through Castlevania, family 1 through 6, we hear here yet again in verse 7, that's what he says again. So here he continues to have four four this sense of vanity. I saw vanity under the sun. If you recall, the term under the sun simply meaning a life lived apart from consideration for the eternal. It's simply the here and the now. I saw life in the now. One person who has no other. One person has one person. There's nobody else than either son or brother. Yet this one person here, this one person, there is no end to all of his glory. His eyes are never satisfied with riches. So that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. In other words, the conclusion as the preacher begins his conversation with us this morning, that as he ends that comment there with this is an unhappy business. In other words, happiness through rational self-interest for the preacher is not your noblest activity. Here he is, I saw one person standing in isolation, cut off from a web of relationships, standing by himself. I look at what he does, and he works, and he works, and he accumulates, and he accumulates. And I look at it, and I say, this rational self-interest is an unhappy business. Here at the outset of this essay by the preacher, this comment by the preacher, is the aim that he has to persuade you. I have the same aim this morning, and that is to persuade you that self-indulgence, taking on various forms, here, in the preacher's comment, is the economics of it all. But it takes many forms. I think with as many of us that are here in this room right now, it could probably take each individual component would be a different manifestation under one head. Selfish indulgence. And he seeks to persuade you and I this morning that that pursuit of self is the opposite of the 
He says here at the very beginning about this one individual standing as though he is an island unto himself. He is driven by riches through personal performance. So much so, he never stops to even ask himself the deeper questions of ultimate purpose. He's a worker. He's gaining, he's accumulating, he's purchasing, he has power. And he is yet all the while, says the preacher, as I see him, there's no end in his toil. And if I look at him, he has no one around him. He is not flourishing. He is in prison. Rand says, no, 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 you had it all wrong, O'Haley. You had it all wrong. Rational self-interest is that man's noblest activity. He was born to pursue his own happiness. Is the moral purpose of his life. <coughs> He's realizing it. Don't you see? He's alone. He has some things. That's the purpose of his existence. The preacher says, no. That's an unhappy business. He never even stops being imprisoned by his own performance. He is, if you look, just look earlier in the text of your chapter 4, just look earlier where Pastor Dan said, here's what's driving this individual, or this grouping of individuals. No matter the, the uh, self-indulgent manifestation, it's driven by the same thing. Don't you see? Verse 4, chapter 4. I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. That's why he works and works in works. He's in prison. He's at liberty. He's imprisoned by his own sense of performance. He's motivated by envy of his neighbor. He chooses them in order to accumulate and outdo. I must remain isolated from others in my time and in my talents. I don't have time to do it. I can't do it. That would be a surrendering of my own value. For us or not. And I can't do that. And I can't do that as well. And the preacher says that person is not liberated. He is in prison. He has no one around him. And there's a reason why. Because he means driven by envy, he must outperform the man next to him for self-validating reasons. He must have more. He must do more. He must stay clear. He must get earlier. He must outrun him. He must outwit him. He must outfit him. For self-validating purposes. So-and-so. Or I at least do this much. 
Wow, I wish I was him or her, and I wish I had that much. There's always a spectrum at work that we adopt in order to self-soothe any pleasure pursuits, any selfish indulgence. So we might think to the one who is above us, this individual is living a good life. This person, right here, whoever that be, in whatever realm you're considering, the creation this morning is considering the economics of all. Perhaps you're thinking differently. The, the selfish pursuit that you could just be this person living the good life, who knows what the good life is defined by? You know what it's defined by. We might think it is the good one, but the preacher makes clear that the truth of the matter is this the money is good. Yes. I think oftentimes we as believers kind of, if we don't make a whole lot, we self soothe on that too by labeling. Oh, anyone who has something is they must be unhappy. But the reality is money is good. The money is good, but the quality of life is not. This man is home. Self-interest and self-indulgence is not flourishing. It's not liberating. It's imprisoning. And the quality of life is there to prove it. Again, you see Secularism lacks the resources to address the fundamental issues of the I saw that under the sun. I saw secularism at work. And it's not living the good life. It's hollow. It's shallow. When that which is proportionate, finances, becomes the ultimate value. When that is the mechanism of self-validation, Quality of life is not good. And you become a Christian, not murdered. There are two secondary effects to this primary pursuit. I want to note them in the text for you as you see them. There are two secondary effects that follow this primary sin of self indulgence. That's what he's driving at, right? So he's dealing with economics, but you can be dealing with a host of issues that are, are your pursuits on self-validating pursuits or selfish indulgence. People are a utility purpose for you. Relationships, uh, again, children, homes, hobbies, whatever, are only as good as they are for the utility of self-validation. So he cites in economics, if this is you, or in a different manner speaking, two secondary effects of pursuing love. Number one, Look in the text with me at verse 8 when he says once again, there is no end to all his turn. Right? So here's the guy, the preacher says in verse 7, this is vanity that I see that those live apart from God in the here and now, with no thought of the eternal. Here's an individual, let me say, for instance, one, he has nobody. Now, here he is, he's an island of himself, pursuing, right, his rational self-interest. That is, he's, he's, he's performing his moral obligations to himself. That is his own level of happiness. So he doesn't have a son or a brother. He just is lacking relationships at this point. Yet, notice this one individual pursuing himself. Look the irony. There is no end to all this toil. That is the secondary effect that is so harmful to this individual who is pursuing himself through self-validation, through economic values. There is no end to his work. 
We call this the working rich. Perhaps you're familiar. The working rich. Let me describe this individual in verse 8, if I could, with a comment that he has no end to his toil, because he is what we would call the working rich. What was once an enthusiasm for getting to work making lots of money quickly becomes life deprivation. So right here, you're, you're fresh out of grad school, you're an eager beaver. Okay, I, I, got, I, got, I got a fire with it. I know everything. And I'm going to pursue it with great vigor and enthusiasm. I'm going to get to work making this company that hires me lots of money. And I trust that, you know, they're going to give me lots of money at bonus time. So I'm, I'm eager. Put me to work. Let me show you what I can do. I worked so hard to get here. Let me show you. In this eager spirit, to make money quickly becomes Life deprivation. How so? You become quickly buried under massive piles of work. This is what you're in school for. To get buried under massive piles of work. Experience constant anxiety. Did it get done? Did you do your part? I did my part. No, I forgot something. Uh-oh, we're all going to get fired. You know how they are on Mondays. Constant anxiety, enduring grueling hours and unforgiving bosses. This starts in college, for those of you who are here. In college. You're making choices now. Degree programs, pursuits, selections of future careers. You're making these choices now as an eager beaver. To see where it's going to land you, and what kind of performance you can have, what kind of return you can have, what kind of value you can bring. Are you prayerful at all about what that will mean for you then? Calculating <coughs> time now based on the return it will have then. So I'm investing, I'm investing, I'm investing. It's a beautiful day today. Oh, what will you be doing? You'll be inside stuff. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But if you personally consider why? No, it's good. I need to. I don't need to pray about that. If I'm going to pass, I need to. Okay, okay great. Good. Fine. I get that. In the immediate. But if you personally consider in the long It constantly says, well, what are you doing? Not that it's wrong to do, but, but why are you doing it? Because you realize it is only about you you're going to end up in isolation and imprisonment, life deprivation. Sounds pretty bad now. Spiritually speaking, it will involve you. If it's simply for self-validated purposes. Cutting off from other relationships, investing no time in people, only investing in your greatest body, which is you. Make sure you, I saw a person once, they were at the once, and they had no friends and no brother to speak of. 
And there was, guess what? Little eggs and eggs were washed. I thought they were going to be little. No. Not if it's about self in grad school. It's the same. You're making choices now that will have implications, consequences for them. Are you perfect today for them? Or do you think all oh, that's minor detail will work itself? <coughs> are you investing, says the preacher, are you investing wisely? There was an article recently published in the Atlantic from a published study on, this, uh, on analyzing the happiness of Wall Street bankers. Right? That'd be great. Great to do a study like that and just kind of go around and interview people with words like the arrow. Um, that would be a self-validating soup right there. I don't have that as this guy. So there was an article here about the, the conclusions of the study. It was to promote the book that's been published, right? There's not enough to put in an article the woes of Wall Street, so they, they, they made it into a book. But I got a small little story for you here. Well, Wall Street is notorious for the long hours it imposes on the worker bees. One young banker bragged to me about working to, quote, banker 9 to 5, and his decline is 9 a.m. until 5 a.m. the next day. This is what Christian is all alone. And there's no one. What this means in practice is that young bankers live in a state of perpetual anxiety. Advanced planning becomes impossible. Boyfriends, girlfriends get upset about broken dinner plans. Friends and family become altogether estranged. Phones function as third limbs. This unpredictability, time constraints combined with the sheer number of hours involved takes an absolute toll. A recent academic study of young bankers at the University of Southern California Business School underscored the vital, even bodily, nature of transformation that's taking place during a banker's first few years. The analyzer writes, quote, during years one through three, During years one through three, bankers construe their bodies as objects that their mind simply needs to control. They worked long hours, neglected family, all hobbies, and fought their body's need for sleep in order to enhance their productivity. They suppressed the need by taking naps at 11 p.m. and then again at 1 a.m., 3 a.m., and 4 a.m. When I asked, this is the interviewer, Aren't you worried that this will affect your health? Most responded like Baker A. Quote, for the next few years, work has the priority. I'll worry about all that other stuff then. But that's not business. To my question here, the interviewer, to my question, what if you do irreversible damage to your health during these years of self-pursuit? Many answered me, quote, I'm willing to take that risk. I saw a man, and he had no one. There was no man in his world. The preacher is asking you for one. I pressed it one step further 
to you this morning as believers in Christ, I judge. What a church. What a Lord's Day. What a Sabbath. We're a cast This is an unhappy business. How does that shape investment in time now for self-validating purposes and my only personal performance? I'll outwork you, I'll outrun you, I'll outthink you. How does that speak and shape you being a kid and not a This world is not my world. I'm just a master. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. <laughs> <laughs> the second of secondary effects that follow the primary sin of self-indulgence and that I challenge grad school students to think. Those of us in career with little ones, family ones, for all of us as believers, investing in this church. The second effect is his eyes are never satisfied. Notice the text there it outlines these warnings very clearly about individual A, or as we would say, according to small street analyst, he may be maybe his banker A, associate A. His eyes are never satisfied with riches. The reason is obvious, isn't it? You don't have to sit there and all contemplate and execute the text and wonder why wealth can't bring assurance. Because wealth was never intended to do so. Its utility, its utility purposes is not to bring self-assurance or self-validation. So already you, you don't have to work hard to know that, right? Having an accumulation of wealth will not self-validate. It's not its function or its purpose. Therefore, it lacks the ability to apparently do so. You're not mentioning that just wealth and wealth alone. So wealth cannot provide what you get. It, it can't. It just, it's just, you understand what I'm saying? It's not functionally able. So you will crush it. So, you know, using the four as a utility purposes are so wildly different. Or maybe perhaps we say something like comparing apples and oranges, you know, whatever that means. You just can't put down exactly the same, you can't do that because it's totally different starting places. Pursuing wealth as a mechanism of self-validation will always lead you empty because it just doesn't have the capacity to do so. Thus, his eyes, though he gained it, in isolation from others, he still is unsatisfied and is still all alone. This individual is not the one you see. He's in prison to some points. Should non violent sins within the heart, idolatry, covetousness, enviousness, the whole list of different avenues. Failure 
I do wish to know to you on this idea that I'm not beating down wealth. Because I would be quite in full disclosure, honest with you to say, certainly we all should recognize material goods will make you happy. Sure, I won't get any pushback from you. That's stating capital obvious stuff. It will make you happy. Consider a few things. Wealth does make life less risky, doesn't it? We have a theory of some level of happiness. And if you didn't have to wonder where the check was going to come from, where the food was going to come from, how things were simply going to get to school, how we're going to get things to lights, take, so on and so forth, consider that wealth does obviously make life less risky. If you're ill, you can go to the best doctors, not the shoddy ones down the street. Not the one that just kind of knocks on the door and sees if you can come in and take a temperature. You're going right to the heart of the thing that makes the mind the best of the best because you can. Wealth has that return. If you want to invest, you don't have to worry about the effect it's the best that will have on your lifestyle. You have indiscretionary funds. You have some that you have to use and commit to certain resources, and then you have a stockpile of other elements that you don't have to worry about. And so you can kind of play in the market and do a few things and see some return come back and so forth. Not everything is like hold your breath, wait and see. We might be homeless. You have you have some some freedom there. It, there there's a, a function to that that is happiness. If you have multiple kids, a few of us here, you know that each one will have a good future, right? There's some level of happiness that comes with that financial security. But if this individual who is cutting off the web of relationships and living in isolation, driven on by idolatries and God, his faith not present, there is no faith to speak of. And the Christian who pursues, though faith be present, they pursue things under the sun, simply sinfully pursuing them in isolation from God, is this person flourishing simply because they're happy? I'd like for you that article one last time, kind of answering the question more of the interview. Over a few beers, after work one spring evening, two junior Goldman Sachs employees started contemplating the best way to kill themselves. Quote, if the goal is like, how do I inflict maximum psychological damage on my co-workers, then I think you're showing up your desk and blowing your brains out and the day the best. Says Jeremy. No, says Samson, you know what would happen. All the other analysts would get an email from the associates telling them to clean this mess up and everyone would be back to work. <laughs> they went on the article to review or to refer to uh, their place of employment, and I didn't read these books, so I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce them, but as I think it's a place that sucks your soul out. Um, uh, they carry Potter books, I guess, and they refer to work. They all are service. But the money is good. 
you recall that the gospel makes the difference. How so? The gospel denounces your personal confidence. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I can outform. I can outlive. I can outlive. I can outrun. I can outshower. I can outbuy. I can outown. I can outthink. I can outmemorize. The gospel denounces you. The gospel denounces your personal performance driven on by pride, envy, and covetousness and calls you, each of you this morning, calls you to humility by faith to receive and rest upon the performance of another. Denouncing and repenting of your own performance and receiving and resting in the performance of another, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. Selfish indulgence is the opposite of human torture. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a few moments in your word this morning. We thank you for this text. We thank you for your call to repent of self-indulgent and self-justifying performance and be justified by the performance of another. Father, as the church, help us to denounce our own behaviors, to repent of our own sin and living in isolation to accumulate, to pursue self and self-adventure, self-validation, but to share our lives one with another, not both simply to our own interests, as Paul said, but to the interests of others, as is modeled and empowered and enabled by the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself did such for us. Practice your grace in Christ Jesus. Produce your fruits in us. Of beauty, righteousness, joy, 